Hey everyone and welcome to the CVM Ireland podcast. Here at CVM we are a search and rescue agency seeking to see men's lives transformed through the power of the gospel of Jesus. We help churches all over Ireland and beyond try to achieve this and help us guys as we journey every day in our lives following Jesus. We want to let you enjoy our recordings from our 2019 DNA Men's Conference, which took place in Carmoney. Uh, it happens every year as we gather hundreds of men from all over the island of Ireland and beyond, as we worship, as we lift up the name of Jesus, and as we encounter him and get the grips with the challenges he lays out to us as men. So sit back, relax, and be blessed. Okay, guys, thanks for, thanks for being with us. Um, I, this is the bit I'm really looking forward to the most, if I'm being honest. Um, to have a, a chat with these two guys. For those of you who, who, who don't know them, this is John. Uh, I, I, he laughed at this whenever I called him this yesterday, but John's the father of this house. That's the way he, I look at he, it. He's the old fella. He's the old fella. <laughs> John's the, the minister here in, in Carmoney. Um, he has been for 20 years. Eight, eight, 18. 18. Okay. Is it switched on? I know John. It's on now. There we go. Um, and this is uh, this is Phil. For those of you who don't know Phil Emerson, who is the founder, father of the house, lead pastor, <laughs> whatever way you want to look at it, of Emmanuel and Lurgan. And uh, can you welcome them? Um, I think that'd be good to start off with. Um, when we were putting together these sessions, um, we really were wanting to press into the stand thing, but also the father heart of God and the fatherlessness stuff. Um, I really wanted to get something done with these two guys because I think they just echo what it is to be a father, not just in their own homes, but a father in the faith and a father in the church. Um, so I'm going to get you to get them to talk a little bit about themselves, family stuff, and maybe even how'd you get into ministry? How do you tell us about your journey into ministry? That would be pretty cool. John. Me? Okay. Um, well, um, my, my dad was a Presbyterian minister. Um, I, I'm the eldest of a family of four. He was minister in the Shankle Road in Belfast when I was born. When I was six, we moved to Derry. And I was there until I went to university. And I suppose um, all of my life, for as long back as I can remember, has been lived in, in and around church. Um, I've loved church. Um, again, as long back as I can remember. And when I was um, just about the end of primary school, beginning of grammar school, I remember saying to my mom and dad, I thought I was going to go into the ministry, and they did everything they possibly could to persuade me it was a really bad idea. <laughs> and um, I mean, partly because, you know, you, you, you know, you're working in church and your family showing interest in church, you know, you... you uh, you worry about that and about the outcomes of that. So, but when they eventually realized they couldn't put me off, then, I mean, they, they were really supportive. And um, I, I, I candidated for ministry. I interviewed, um, did theology at Union and ended up uh, being ordained. And I will be 40 years ordained, God willing, in January coming. So that was it. But I, I mean, I guess I just felt... Um, I, I couldn't really say there was a specific time or, or, or incident in my life, but I just always knew that this is what I wanted to do and where I wanted to be, um, apart from a very short um, kind of um, uh, thinking about possibly being an astronomer. I have absolutely no idea where that came <laughs> from, but it didn't last for very long. Basically, apart from that, this is what I've always wanted to do, so I'm living the dream. 
Um, tell us about your family, John. Were you only 15 when you were ordained? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was, yeah, oddly enough. Yeah, I, yeah. So my family, okay, we, I've got four kids. Uh, David, whom you've seen, who was here today leading worship, and who also leads our church plant downtown in Belfast. Um, and then an older, uh, his older sister, Esther, is married to Phil. They have three children, um, Dave and Joy have one, and then Dave's younger brother, Matthew, is married uh, to Laura, who is the daughter of my PA, uh, and uh, they have one little boy called Jude, and then Hannah, um, who's 20-something or other, and is still living at home. (laughs) Brilliant. Phil, same question to you. Oh, okay. Um, Something similar to, to, to John, uh, my great-grandfather pioneered the Little Brethren Assembly in Ardmore, which is in the south shores of Loch Ney. So I grew up in, a, in, in the Brethren home, mom and dad, both Christians. My, my, I'm the youngest of seven, and my brothers all say I was born saved, um, <laughs> but that's not very theologically true. But it just, I, 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 I was saved when I was six, just fell in love with the church and have loved the church all my life, really. And um, so uh, what got me into ministry? Is that what the question yep. was? Um, uh, well, I, I'm, I'm married to Lorraine. I have five kids and nine grandkids. Um, and uh, my kids range from 40 to 10 so that'll scare you. Um, my kid's 40, 38, 36, um, 32, and I'm a little boy at 10. My first wife died um, back uh, many years ago, and then married again. My wife now is 12 years younger than I. Married again when I was 49. You can work out the mass. So we had a wee boy, and uh, he's quite incredible. He is younger than three of my grandkids, so that's fun. That's fun. So... Uh, it's a very yeah. contemporary family, Phil. Yeah, it's so the weirdest family ever. But it, yeah. it's the weirdest family ever. But it actually works. It really does. And uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, 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 I'm not educated at all. And and I didn't go to university. And I didn't. I don't have a theology degree or anything like that. But I was. Uh, my dad took me out of. Uh, my, my my dad was in the building industry quarries and stuff like that, hence the hearing aids. And um, so he took me out of school when I was 14 to work a a block machine, basically, and uh, burned all the truancy letters. And I was helping my mum and him used to fight about it all the time, but I think I was a cheaper option than him employing somebody. So, uh, um, and then uh, went into business for myself at 21, bought an old lorry, went to the Holly's business, worked at the lorries for 15 years because I was away from home a lot and my kids were growing up, I decided to do something that was a little bit, would, would get me home at night. And um, I took on a, a coal run working for Kaywoods, took on a little franchise of a coal run in Craig Evan. So I was a coal man in Craig Evan for, for five, six years. And that's what God broke my heart for the lost and the broken. And uh, here I was living in a city that People were just struggling with alcohol and and drug addiction and every other thing. We use those as two big highlights, don't know, but every other thing involved. And, and I just didn't know what to do with them. So I was a brother and boy, and I knew that the, 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 my brother and upbringing was great and they were lovely people, but I just knew I couldn't bring this brokenness. They would just wouldn't know what to do with it. They wouldn't have known 
what to do with them. And so my first wife, Jill, was alive at the time, and she had a massive gift of hospitality, probably one of the best gifts of hospitality of anybody ever I knew. And she said to me, Phil, why don't you just bring them home? And uh, so I started to bring these people into my home. They started to live with us, sleep on our living room floor. Um, and then we, we, we started to worship with them. They never intended to start a church, never, never felt that was what God had called me to do. It was just to work with the lost and the broken. And so we just started to worship with them. We started to teach them some of the scriptures. We started to disciple them. We would break bread. They would go out and roll a joint in the windowsill. I, my kids thought I'd lost the plot. I thought I'd lost the plot. Um, but they just kept coming and kept coming and coming. And so that's how I sort of stumbled in that um, spot, if the truth be told. <laughs> um, that's brilliant. Um, bring us up the current day, situation. What uh, a weekend likes for you, John and Phil. What does your... What's, what does this amazing place look like on a weekly basis? Um, and while you're at that, I'm going to throw a curveball for you. The denomination differences versus movement too, because you've quite, I would say, been an, a reformer in what you've done in this house, and not only in this house, but in your denomination of PCI, whereas Phil, you've kind of been a bit more of a speedboat, kind of you're able to change direction as and when you need to, where sometimes the denomination is like turning an oil tanker some people would say so give us <laughs> give us a, what it looks like here on a Sunday and your responsibilities um, yeah well I, I mean I, the only way I can really describe it is that um, I mean I came here I, I, I worked for um, I did my assistantship in Bloomfield in East Belfast and then the first church that I had on, on my own as it were was in First Killyleigh in County Down I was there for five and a half years. Then I was in Seaview on the Shore Road for 15 years and came here coming up now on 18 years ago. So whenever I came here, I was kind of a fairly standard, reformed, evangelical, conservative from Northern Ireland, didn't believe in gifts of spirit or anything else, cessationist in my theology. And I came here and, and, and something really strange happened um, to me in a sense. I was sitting up there in the session room um, being interviewed by the Kirk session before I became minister here. And in the midst of the session meeting, I heard a voice. And I mean I heard a voice. I don't mean that I imagined someone in my head. I heard a voice in the middle of the interview saying to me, you're going to come here and you're going to do Alpha, which is a remarkably difficult thing to do if you don't believe in gifts of spirit. So um, the Lord has a very deep sense of humor. So I... I kind of heard the voice and I was trying to answer a really difficult question at the time. I never told anybody about that. Um, I didn't even tell my wife about it. Um, and six months later, I was here. I was working here with a meeting of our evangelism team. I said, guys, we really need to do a, we need to do a discipleship course so we could do Christianity Explored. We could do Alpha. I want you to go away and talk about it. Tell me what you think. Left the room. We were meeting in our house. Christine and I went out to make supper. Well, to be more exact, she made the supper and I kind of hung around. But that, and then they called me back and said, we've decided and we're, we're unanimous. We want to do Alpha. So I was kind of like a confirmation of this voice that had spoken to me. But then I had the problem that I'm going to have to do this. Okay. And so in a way, what really happened, and I suppose the reason why we are who we are today is I went on a journey and this church went on a journey. I was only ever maybe just one step ahead. That's all. And I think that's in part why we didn't have World War III here when we changed the worship, when we, 
you know, and, and, and when the gifts of the Spirit started to be manifest among us and when we started to explore things that were not a part of my heritage and not a part of my background and that lost me all sorts of friends and colleagues um, over the years, I, they just happened. I, I didn't plan it. it. It took place. God showed up. People got converted. Lives got changed. Um, the Holy Spirit did things. I, you know, I, 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 well, initially didn't think he still did. Um, which was really difficult for your theology when you're looking at it face to face. Um, but that, we went on a journey as a church, I suppose, and that was in all sorts of areas. Uh, in worship and how we structured ourselves and how, and how we kind of strategized about who we were and where, where we wanted to get and our contacts with the community. So we, you, you know, it was really Alpha, going to Alpha conferences in England. We heard about CAP. Went, All right, this sounds really interesting. We started a CAP ministry got the money to employ somebody full-time to do that. We were dealing with people who were in poverty, and, and we, were, we were calling people's houses. And literally, quite literally, the families had no food in the cupboard. There's literally nothing in the house, okay? And so in a way, that forced us to open a food bank. So we now run a Trust Trust food bank in Newton Abbey. We started off as our own, but it, it's built up into something big. And then we discovered they didn't have any clothes for children and didn't have... Um, cots or prams, so we opened a shop to sell um, clothes and, and, and baby goods and stuff like that. And, um, and then we discovered that you know, a lot of the kind of you know, financial problems arise out of unemployment, stuff like that. So we then started Cap Job Clubs. And, uh, and, and, and then the council, the local council, realized what we were doing. And, and the government, uh, Storm Apartments, invested money in what they called at-risk areas, which were areas that were just about to fall down the deep black hole but hadn't fallen down the hole. So that the idea was let's try and prevent that from happening. So they came to us and said, hey, can, you know, can, we, can we work with you? Can we finance you to run programs with the young and with the elderly and so on? And so that then, that, that kind of developed with them. So, so, so really, people, people often will ask me, you know, can you come and talk to our Kirk session or talk to our church about how you did this? And the answer is no, I can't <laughs> because we didn't do it. I mean, it literally happened. It, 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 one thing led to another. You, you know, I, I remember Sandy Miller telling a story. It's really been the experience of my life, really, since, since God kind of started working a new way. I remember him saying that in the early days in HTB, um, uh, he, went, he went to a vineyard conference in the United States, and uh, they had only just met John Wimber, and this was a completely new thing for them. If you knew Sandy Miller, Sandy Miller comes from a legal military background. He is totally wealthy London establishment family. He is one of the most conservative looking guys in his whole background that you could ever meet, all right? And, and the Lord was talking to him about all these things that he was gonna have to do. And he said, I remember being at the conference and coming up from one of the sessions, getting down and praying to the Lord and saying, I can't do this. I, I don't have the experience, I, I, I can't do this. And he said, well, one of the few times in my life I think I ever heard God's voice an audible voice speak to me, speak to me, and he said, the voice said, just do the next thing. So he said, that's what we did. And the HTB that you see today is the result of just doing the next thing. And that's really what happened here. And it, so it wasn't us, genuinely wasn't us. Um, we just did the next thing. So, Ghetto. <laughs> Uh, I could probably just say all the same thing. Um, one of the big things I would say for us, you know, after 23, 24 years now, it felt 
whenever I'm telling our story, sometimes I say it was. It felt like the first ten years we couldn't do anything wrong, and then it felt like the next five or six years we couldn't do much right. <laughs> you know, it, it was just really, really tough. It was like walking through mud. You know, and um, one of the things that happened in that period of time in walking through the mud. When he was sitting in the front of church one morning, it was, about, it was Easter Sunday morning, because they called it Phil's Easter Ramblings, um, which is stuck. And, uh, and, and the, the, some of the congregation kept sending me in, Phil, you should ramble more often. Um, but what happened, I was st- standing at the front and they were during worship, and um, they were singing that song, Salvation Belongs to the Lord, yeah. Who Sits on the Throne. And, um, you know, as a preacher, when you're coming to preach and you've got your notes and you know what you're, where you're going to go, I felt the Lord asked me a question. It was a bit like John and Sandy Miller. It was one of those audible voices of God that I heard. And I felt God ask me this question, Phil, what are you doing? And it was almost, you know, when somebody asks you a question with a tone, I felt God ask me a question with a tone. I felt like God said, Phil, what are you doing? And um, and I, I didn't know what to do other than just answer him. So I said, uh, God, I'm trying to build a church in a broken town and city. And, um, and I felt God saying, when did I ask you to do that? And I was, flum- I was flummoxed. I actually was flummoxed. And I said, God, but I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to reach the lost and the broken. I'm trying to redeem the brokenness of this city. And then I felt God say, Well, why don't you do that? Why don't you get back to doing that's what I originally called you to do? Why don't you get back to doing that? And I'll build a church. And the only thing I could think of was, you know, the verse that says, I will build a church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know, I'll build a church, I'll build a church. It was like God saying, When did I ever ask you to build a church? I just asked you to reach the lost and broken. And so what we did, that was in 2010, and what we did, we decided that we would, we would review everything we did, and nothing that we did as a church would exist without an, an outward focus. Right down to our kids' ministry, right down to our Sunday school, we would do nothing that didn't have an outward focus. And that was tough. And... Um, I often, when I'm telling that story, I can say I can tell that in two to three minutes, but it took us two years to turn it. And even in our short history, even in a history that was only sort of 15, 16 years, we had got so much tradition and, um, and some of the most difficult conversations, some people who had been with us for 15 years actually just couldn't see that and I, I had elders who come and sat in my office that time and said, Phil, we've loved you. We've followed you for 15 years. We've loved the vision. One elder said this to me. He says, Phil, I just don't get it anymore. And I said, what do you not get? And he says, just, it seems like everything's just all about the lost now. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Just things, everything's just about the lost. And I said, but that, that's, that's, what, that's what it is. And he goes like this. He says, well, what about me? What about me? What's in this for me? And I, my answer came before I actually think I thought it out, which he didn't like. And he said, I said, well, it's not my job to sort out your social life. 
God's called me to the lost and the broken, and that's what he's called us as a church to do. So that was a, a similar, I think. You know, we just kept doing the next thing. We just kept doing the next thing. We kept trying to meet the next need. We kept trying to, you know, hear God's voice on it. Thank you. Um, I'm going to come back to you with this, this question first. Um, there's a myth that we're saying that the old have all the wisdom and the young have all the energy. Like, you both do not play by that at all. How did it tell us about that? <laughs> well, I think, you no, know, I just don't agree with that at all, you know, and um, some of our, if only I, I, did a, I did a thing for the Methodist Church not that long ago, and somebody in the Q&A asked me, how come some of your younger men have stayed with you for over 20 years? Well, I said, that means they're not young anymore. Um, but the reason is that we, I think, number one, I realized that I couldn't do it without them. And um, I realized that they needed to be empowered. We come up with this little phrase. I'm not sure if, well, I, I use it all the time, entrusting leadership, entrusting, entrusting leadership. And so I, and I do it out of Numbers 11, you know, because in the, in the, in the principle of, um, of Moses, when Jethro came along and said, what you're doing is not good, it looks like he didn't do much about it. But then God turns up in Numbers 11 and says, right, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get 70 people that you know to have leadership on them, going to bring them to the tent of meeting. I'm going to come and I'm going to take some of what's in you and put it in them. And all the commentaries that you look up on that will say a similar spirit. And I felt God said to me, there's more than that. I think you've got to give some stuff away. And... Um, You've got to you've got to empower these younger men, and so I find for the younger men that I have around me, I need to figure out. There's so the, the, there's a little saying in our place. They say when the funeral, when a death and a funeral comes along in Emmanuel, everybody follows me. When a wedding comes along, everybody follows me. Outside that, they don't follow me very much. <laughs> Outside that, I follow them. Now I've learned. To, that they're full of wisdom. Most of them are far more educated than I am. Although when I say I'm uneducated, I, I, I did fall in love with the scriptures as a boy. And I've educated myself in the word of God. And I've loved that. So, um, so I think they need to know when to follow me. But I in turn need to know when to follow them. And one funny little story with that. Um, one of the funny things that happened was about five years ago, about one of the things that turned the ship with me in this was about five years ago, I asked sort of the two guys who lead along with me in church, I said to them, when it was coming to Vision Sunday, I said, guys, what about you doing the vision this year? Now, the truth be told, I, th I, felt, I thought that it fought me. I thought it said, Phil, you do the vision. You've been doing it for 20 years, for dear sex. You know, we couldn't do the vision. You need to do it. That's what I wanted them to say. That's not what they said. They were all over it like a rash. They were all over it like a rash. And they took the, they, they, they said, ah, yeah, we'll do it. And so I went, all right, okay. So they, they did the vision talk. And I remember sitting in the front row during the vision talk. It was the best vision talk we'd done in a long, long time. But I, I remember something inside of me dying. And I, I, thought, I thought, oh. And I remember thinking, I'll probably never do this again. Because if I take this back, it's going to be carnage. And, um, and so I didn't know what to do with it. And I prayed about it that night. And I said to the Lord, what, what should I do? And the Lord said, talk to them about it. 
So we meet every Monday morning after our staff meeting as a sort of a lead team. And during coffee that Monday morning, I said, guys, I need help. And I said, what's wrong? And I said, well, the vision talk was brilliant. I have to say that first and foremost. And I said, 80, 85% of me were cheering you on, but 15% of me was saying, oh, these guys have just robbed me of something. And I'm not dead sure what to do with that. And they were a bit shocked that I was so vulnerable and honest, but they were able to help me in a process that's went on actually over the last five years of things that I've had to give away and grieve a little. And you know what? You know, when, when, when you're vulnerable and open about it, there's, there's something, there's beauty in it. So. Um, well, well, for me, it's the, like, it's the famous thing, you know, you can't win anything with kids. Um, <laughs> the absolute famous statement about oh. Alec Ferguson and, and Manchester United. Um, almost every single member of the staff here um, is the age of my children, and one of the members of staff is my child. Um, and that, that, I mean, for me, that's probably been the biggest thrill of doing the last 18 years here. Um, because it was challenging at times, particularly challenging when Dave came on the staff, PCI does family really, really badly. The expectation is your family will end up somewhere else. They won't be really active, won't be providing leadership in the church that you lead. They'll, they'll go elsewhere to do that. And if God's calls on their life, well, then they'll be sent someplace far away, okay? And even in terms of people that you grow in your own congregation, the expectation is if they really, if they really kind of demonstrate leadership ability, well, they'll end up being a minister and going somewhere else. So the whole concept of growing people inside your own fellowship, recognizing their gifts and abilities and appointing them to key positions and roles in the life of the congregation is foreign to our denomination. And it's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy. And so in one way, again, what happened here wasn't something that we planned, um, but uh, uh, I mean, where Dave was concerned, I remember I, on that local, uh, this even more demonstrates how the Lord's a sense of humor, I ended up on the Alpha Northern Ireland board, which is almost unbelievable, but I did, and, and we, we were looking to employ somebody, and, and the stuff was lying on my desk at home, and uh, Dave said to me one evening at tea time, Dad, see that uh, job description on your desk? He said, yeah, I said, I might be interested in it. He said, really? And uh, Dave, Dave was never involved in Alpha here. <laughs> anyway, I said, really? Yeah. And, and that kind of started, because he, he was going to get involved in someone I was already involved with, okay, outside of the church, which then led him coming into leadership here and so on. And, and over the years, what, I, what I've discovered is that there is something about that bond. There is something about somebody in my generation, working with people who are either my children or in my children's generation, there is something that goes on there that is more than just the relationship. Um, and, and, and if therefore the relationship is like a family relationship and that there's a fatherly concern, because the thing about fathers is, you know, you recognize all the things that are really annoying about your children, but you also recognize the things that are really good about them. And, and in one sense, in leadership in church, having the opportunity to do that and walk alongside people and see them grow and, and realize um, that actually loads of the time, like Phil has just said, I, I find they actually have the answers I don't have. They understand the world. They get it. If we set ourselves a target to reach the 18 to 35s here, and that, that governed everything we did, including how we reformed our worship and everything, we went after that generation hard. If you're going after that generation, what does somebody my age know about that? But people living in that generation know all about it. 
So for me, that's been the big, big high. It's the one thing I'm really going to miss when I finish here. Wow. Um, on that note, I'm going to throw two questions together. Because um, you've both recently led your churches in the new church plants with Central, with John here in Carmoni. They've planted Central into the city center of Belfast just recently, taken over May Street. You guys have just recently, in the last year or so, planted into Portadown. You've given away your best people. Yeah. Um, that's astonishing, I think. But I'm sure there's also been a growing pain and it's probably left a vacuum of a hole and all the struggles, because this is including both of your families um, that you've released. Um, talk us through a bit of that. And also you've both talked about and alluded to the next, I'm not going to call, the say the R word, because that doesn't exist in God's kingdom. I believe you've, you've already, both of you have alluded publicly that you feel God calling into the new chapter of an adventure with Jesus in this season that you're in. Talk to us a little bit about coming to that decision, the pain of that, everything. How do you stay in something and grow old whenever you have to relinquish? Um, so, John, I'm going, to, I'm going to start with you. Um, okay, well, as far as the church plant is concerned, I mean, that really started out of an alpha course. Our, <coughs> our alpha course in the autumn was the one I was always involved with. That was always big. And, and, and then we did one in the spring, and it was always small, and I was, I was trying to find a way to kind of grow that and, and develop it. And so at that stage, Dave was working for Alpha UK. And if you're working for Alpha UK in the mainland, I mean, you would, you would normally be involved in running an Alpha course somewhere. So I approached Dave's boss at Alpha, and she said, look, can, can, can you release him some number of hours in the week to revamp our spring Alpha course? And we, we negotiated, and that was agreed. So we, what they then did was they said, well, look, we want to reach 18 to 35, so where do we need to go? We never ran Alpha courses in the church. We ran them in pubs, hotels, golf courses, wherever. And so where were we going to run this course? And so he did some chatting around friends in his age group in this area. And what we discovered was that nobody, nobody in this area goes to Ballyclare if you're between 18 to 35 for entertainment, shopping, or other purposes to go to Belfast. So we decided to reach the people in Newton Abbey, we'd start an alpha course in Belfast. And that really worked. We went to Black Box, which is an entertainment pub venue in Belfast. And that was brilliant. I learned loads of things out of that. Um, and, and so that, but what we discovered was we had no problem attracting 50, 60 guests to an Alpha course in a pub in Belfast. Um, we saw loads of those people come to faith, but we had a real serious problem connecting them with church afterwards. Um, and so that started the journey to start to think, well, how could we do that? Some of them ended up coming here. Some of them went to other churches that we put them in touch with. But it was really difficult. And eventually we came to the conclusion we need to do something. So that coincided with something else that the presbytery was doing. We put our hands up and said, okay, we'll have a go. So we started uh, three years ago in the MAC in Belfast on Wednesday nights. We gradually worked towards um, now doing Sunday worship in May Street with upwards of 100 people there, plus about 20 kids every week now. And we've only been in May Street since, since Easter. It's a funny story because the first time somebody said to me, John, would you guys be interested in May Street? I said, not in a million years. <laughs> it's a one million pound, grade A listed building in the center of Belfast. It could totally sink us. No, I'm not interested. But we eventually became convinced that the Lord was in it and that's where we are and that's what's happened. So, so that was kind of the journey with that. 
And, and because Dave led that Alpha course, he was kind of the obvious person to lead the church plant with the team. So we took nine people from here to do it. And then we added a few more later. But essentially, there's only about a dozen to 15 people from this congregation there. All those other people are new. Um, so, th so that was kind of that story. The, the, the big R story is that I've told them here I'm finishing in December 2020. So um, that's, that, that seems the logical time to do it. Um, I have no idea what that's going to feel like, and I'm certainly not ready for it now. Um, but I feel that it's the right time, and I'm hoping that by the time I get there, it's not that I... I mean, it's a bit like... Some of you may have seen me came here this morning, our cycling club, gathering at the doors there. Um, and most of the guys that ride on a Saturday morning are my children's age, and I, I, I ride with them sometimes. And what I, did, what I know is that when I'm in reasonable form, I could go out with them on Saturday morning, I could ride 40 miles, and I could more or less keep up with them and get back here, okay? But the difference is they could do it again on Sunday. I couldn't do it again for another four days. And so what I discover with age is it's not that you lose capacity, um, but you, you slow down recovery. It takes you longer to get that capacity back than wow. it used to. And that's wow. the same in ministry. It's the same in, 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 in spiritual life, okay, that where I used to handle five things in my hands together at the one time and, and go out and do something exactly the same tomorrow, I can't do that any longer. And this church needs somebody who can have the five things in their hand at once. Yeah. So I need to step aside and let somebody else do that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think it's doing the job, you know, at the, as long as you have the energy to do it, you know, and it's a high-energy job, you know, you're running a high-energy church and, um, you know, you, you have to you have to decide when is the right time. Um, what was the question that we started off with? Uh, no. Church plant. All right, church ch plant, yeah, right, sorry. sorry. I just can't multitask, I'm terrible. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think. It's another problem with old age. You can't remember anything from <laughs> yeah, five minutes yeah. ago, but you can remember your childhood vividly. Yeah, right, okay. That's right. Um, well, can I say one wee thing? You know, where I said that I married again when I was 49, and um, Lorraine was 37. She's 12 years younger than I, and we had a wee boy, and he was born when I was 51, and uh, he's 10 now. And when he was born, I held him in my arms, and God spoke to me the first time I held him. I actually cut his umbilical cord, which is yuck. But um, um, I held him in my arms, and God spoke to me, and God said, Phil, this is the first fruits of things that you never thought would be born. Wow. This is the first fruits of things that you never thought would be born. And as a grandfather and as a father of four, at that time, I felt God talk to me about fathering again, about being a father. And so the church has many teachers, just not many fathers, and we know that. And so, um, so there was this whole thing about father. And so what happened with our church plant, um, we, we, we had sort of, um, because Craig Avon is so widespread and it's known as the failed city, we started to develop missional communities and we started to set up people. Because what happens by default, people get saved in really difficult communities and then they try to better their lives and move out of the communities. And, and what happens is the community never gets reached. And so we, we tried to, to say to the people that were getting saved in our alphas and stuff like that, stay in your communities, stay in your communities, bring God into your community. So one such girl 
we had a girl get saved in a really, um, a, a Republican estate in, right beside us. It's actually, if you, if you drive from our church to just 0. 0.7 of a mile, right? But it's, a, like, it's, a, it's like a million miles, really. And so this girl went back in. She was a bit like the Samaritan woman. She went back in and she just carried God. She started a home group in the community. That home group started to grow to the point where we actually had to rent. A, we rented the community center in Kilwilkie, which is a Republican state. I had to meet with the provisional IRA, all right, to get permission to meet in there. And we met in that on, on a, a, a Sunday afternoon, four o'clock. It outgrew the community center. So we had a higher building, so we're now renting a building down in there. We had to spend 20,000, £30,000 <coughs> worth of work to get it um, serviceable. But it's Sunday-centric. It's now drop-ins on Monday. There's stuff going on every day of the week. It, it just sort of grew, mushroomed in itself. With another group of young adults done the same thing in a really broken estate, Ardoan, in Craig Evan, that just bought at a breaking their heart for the kids in that community. Lots of travelers and all there. So there's three or four of them started to work out there. This is a couple of years ago, and it started to grow as well. So they're both about 40, 50-centric, all homegrown. We have a couple of little national communities and villages around us that are still... So as this started to happen, we began to realize that we, we needed to resource them. And we felt that God was calling us as a resource church for our area. And, and Lurgan and Portadown, if you know it, are just five, six miles apart. But they're, again, a million miles apart. And we felt for 20 years we had been sort of saying to people from Portadown, loads of whom came to our church, come on over to us. <laughs> so God gave us a, a vision. One of our elders had a vision of the Tower Bridge, of London Tower Bridge. And um, you know the way the Tower Bridge, you have the two towers, you have the road, and, and then they're connected at the top with this, this sort of connection at the top. And, and the, the vision was that if we could take the two towns, maybe we could take the city. Mm-hmm. And we'd never, we'd never, want, we'd never th- ever thought of planting and pouring it down. But this vision was that if we could, if we could the road between the two, the two towers was there, but if we could build a spiritual link between these two churches, that we could build two resource churches in two very broken towns that could actually do what the government and the economy has failed to do, take the city. And so we, we were just probably silly enough to think we could do it. And, um, and we just believed that we'd heard God. And so Alan, my nephew, he, we, we sent 50 people. And uh, we, we just said, look, if you're feeling a call to Port, if you're from Portadown, you feel called to it, or even you're not from Portadown, you feel a call to it. We're, so we, we, we prayer walked, the, we prayer walked the, the area for one whole year. We went there because, you know, it, it, it talks about redigging the, re, re, the, the wells, you know, where Isaac redug the wells of his father. And, and we sort of felt that we needed to go and redig. And we went for a full year, every Friday night, six to seven, prayer walked the area. We wanted to go somewhere where there was no church plants or where there was no church presence, somewhere we need to really contend for and contest for, and uh, like we are in Lurgan, and so that's, that's what we've done. And so that was tough now. When we planted there, home base does take a hit. It takes a hit. It's not just, not just the financial implications of sending 50 people out, but actually the, the, there's, there's a bit of a... It's hard to put into words. It just takes a lot of work to rebuild that, you know, yeah. so... 
Um, so with those plants for us, it has been, it's been great. I found it tough at home. Um, and home, home base is good, but I just I found it a grind, um, rebuilding and re-energizing that again. So, Thanks for sharing that. Um, I'm going to ask you a final question, um, two parts. Uh, what would you want your legacy to be as a father, heart? Um, and what would you want to say to some of the guys here today? I'm thinking in particular of even like the grandfather generation. Phil, you go first. Um, oh, man. Well, well, the first seminar I came this morning went to um, Richard's seminar, and it was brutal. It near killed me. I mean, in a, I mean, like it was, I couldn't believe Spud led me into that. It was just like, it was like, one, I just felt like God was just, just wrapping me for, you know, this, uh, and when I say it was brutal, it was absolutely amazing. And I don't know if it's recorded or not, but yeah. you let, get the, get the, honestly, it was, I just felt like it was, I was sitting there feeling, oh God, I just feel like you are. I have let you down because a year ago I felt God called me out of Exodus 17 into their session. Felt to go up the mountain and to pray for the lads on the battlefield. And uh, so I feel my legacy, I would love my legacy to be that of what happened that Moses went up and raised his hands and in some shape or form helped with the victory. Because it says that that Joshua on the field totally overcame them, overwhelmed them with the sword. And when you get the sword, which is the word, and the prayer on the mountaintop going together, something happens in the battlefield. And so I feel, um, I felt this morning, I felt God really speak to me about some stuff in my life that are just wood and stubble. And they're good things. I'm not thinking bad things, but just things that I'm busy in myself and there's so much stuff in the job that we do that I would love that God has really spoke to me even today about that that I just need to clear and get up the mountain and, and I would love that to be my legacy. He went up the mountain. Um, legacy I can answer really simply. I would, my, I would love my legacy to be that people would remember that I led a church the thing that mattered most was the presence of the Lord. Yeah. Like that would be it. Um, if 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 that's what I could leave behind, then the last eighteen years would have been would have been worth it. Um, I, I, Spud sent us out a rough idea of the question for him. I thought of this. There's two things in my heart, um, really, that I thought I wanted to say. It's not exactly what you've asked, but there are two things that really, really strike me at the moment about where we are church-wise and what the need of the are is. And, and the first thing is specifically addressed to men, having an all-male audience today, so I can say something I probably couldn't say anywhere else, which is that my experience of working with men in churches is sometimes men are a bunch of old women. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, like, it's a serious issue because what, what I find is they're gossips, they, 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 there's no integrity yeah. or um, uh, especially those appointed to leadership don't offer any leadership come to leadership meeting oh the people are saying this or the people are saying that what part of Christian leadership is involved with what the people say the people were constantly telling Moses mm. what would you bring us out of Egypt for yeah. 
you know, this is a dreadful place you brought us to, to die in the desert and we'll be buried here. Moses wasn't listening to that. He was listening to what God was saying. And the church is crying out for people who have the integrity to listen to what God is saying and then get out into the congregation and defend that. Don't go out into the car park and get involved in the conversations that undermine everything you've just been a part of making decisions about in the meeting. Don't be an old woman. Be a man. Stand up on your feet and defend what you believe God wants you to do in the church that you belong to. Argue for it. Tell why it matters. And get out there and do it. And back the people that have the vision. If you don't have the vision, um, then okay, fine. We're not all visionaries. But you recognize the people who do and you trust them. Well, then act with integrity and get out there and defend it. That's the first thing. And I think that's a real call to men and leadership in the church. For goodness sake, be a leader. You're not there as a public representative. You're there as a leader. The second thing is this. Um, When I was growing up at home, uh, it was a long time ago, uh, the Middle Ages, really. And uh, we had an old Bush record player. Some of you may remember with fondness, the old Bush record players. And my dad loved classical music. And my kind of love of classical music, uh, I love all kinds of music, but I love classical music too, comes from the records that he used to play when I was a boy. Every Christmas, before Christmas would come along, they would play the Messiah. We had a recording of the Messiah on three vinyl albums, okay? And there was always one chorus from the Messiah that from my earliest days seemed to resonate with my heart. And, uh, and for me, it's probably my favorite uh, reference out of the book of Revelation. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And, and one of the things that's on my heart about that is I believe we are at a point in time, guys, when we need to shed the nationalist crap That's part and parcel of the culture of this country. And I'm not now talking about green nationalism because I doubt there's anybody in this building that's a green nationalist, but there'll be loads of orange nationalists here. And the time has come in honor of our Savior to say that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I was thinking this morning when I was listening to one of the talks this morning, You know about that verse in the Charles Wesley hymn, change from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and grace. Why does God give you a crown in this life? So that you can lay it down before Christ. That's the only reason for it. And in that we honor what is good about our culture or about our nation or whatever, I'm not against that but it's only there so that one day we can lay that down before Jesus Christ. And I think we should start laying it down now. I don't think as Christians we can justify the kind of nationalism that's taken for granted in this country. I think it's time to put Jesus where he should be, soul king and head of the church and the person before whom we lay down our crowns. And I think there's a big call to men in this generation to answer that call and to put Jesus where he should be. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been blessed by today's teaching. For more information on our ministry and everything that we do or to get in contact, head over to our website, cvm.ie. Hope to see you soon.